This is Bumping Into, where we have interesting conversations with people from all walks of life. Welcome to another episode of Bumping Into. I am your host, Francis Populin, and on this episode of the show, we bump into Anthony Mativia. Anthony is the founder of the Magnetic Memory Method, a systematic 21st century approach to memorizing foreign languages, names, speeches, and educational information, all in ways that are said to be easy, elegant, effective, and fun. Uh, Anthony has taught thousands of students across the world and is the author behind over a dozen best-selling books on the topic of memory and language. Anthony is also a very well-regarded TEDx talker. So I was lucky enough to grab him for a couple of hours um, and not only go over how his program works and how the brain and the mind work, we also talk about if this method can be applied to people that have brain diseases or health disorders such as Alzheimer's and dementia. Um, We talk about nutrition. Uh, Is there any impact on certain types of diets and nutrition on brain and memory health? We go into supplements. We start off the show by talking about Anthony. As as regular listeners to the show will know, I like to start with a story behind the person before what the person does. So we start off with talking about him. So I think it's a great episode for anyone that is into brain power, enhancing brain power, enhancing memory, um, and exploring ways and techniques. And you know, you could call them uh, biohacks or hacking anything that gives you an edge, an improvement. Um, He was a great guy to talk to, super intelligent. Our conversation was quite lengthy and I've tried to condense it down to the core information. Um, But look, I've included some of that runoff for you uh, because he was a fascinating guy to talk to. And, um, you know, we touch on different philosophies and mindsets and a couple of other things that really veer off a bit of a path, but retain interest, uh, I believe, within the overall sphere of what we're, you know, we were talking about. Um, So I've included that as well as part of this. As always with most of these talks, you can head to bumpingintocomau look for the episode page, go down the bottom, you'll find links. You'll find links to the Magnetic Memory Method, um, Anthony's page, and a couple of other things that maybe do relate that were spoken about. Let's go straight into the conversation that I was lucky enough to have with Anthony Mativa. Francis, how are you doing? Thanks for uh, suggesting this. No, no, thank you very much for your time coming on the show. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. What I would love to do before we we talk about uh, specifically your work, I'd love to go back a bit and and learn about the man himself, um, and and go into yeah yeah basically how what what led into it what you what you were doing your background. I'm sure there's there's got to be an interesting story because you've ended up in quite a specialized field. Well, yeah, and it's a, a strange thing being in memory because I'm aware of how every time we access our memory, we change them. So telling my story has the risk of completely rewriting my memory. <laughs> and then, of course, there's so many versions of, of the story, depending where you start. Not to overcomplicate things, but, you know, I was born once upon a time, or at least that's what they tell me. And <laughs> then I wound up on a strange adventure, dropping out of high school at one point, and then being seduced to finish high school, going into university and, you know, constantly wanting to quit that because of lots of issues, especially around, you know, clinical depression and all that sort of stuff. But I wound up finishing and there's just many adventures in how that I got through it all. And memory was a huge part of it. 
And I'm really glad that I found memory techniques when I was in grad school because it helped me with the mental stamina and the ability to actually focus and concentrate on some of the demanding material and then remember it, of course, which comes in real handy when you have examinations and also just processing a lot of stuff that you need to write about in your dissertation. And then from there, I just, I taught university for some time and wound up not teaching university. And then I started to write about memory and the rest is history. That's interesting because that was one of my questions where, um, well, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is I tend to believe that if you can master memory, you typically could learn within reason anything. Um, you know, if you've got that ability to recall it, concentrate on it and understand it, and especially uh, whenever you're reading something, you, you can read the second page and forget what you've just read on the first. And if you can't bring that bit into together, you've just wasted your time because none of it makes sense. And and I think that would be a lot of uh, probably challenges a lot of people have when they're trying to learn something complicated is retaining that memory to to cross it over to actually make it into a final product. Mm. Well, that's an interesting thing because it's not always a wasted amount of time. It's tremendously valuable. It just depends on how you treat it, not only how you treat it in terms of your attitude, but then what you do with that apparently lost time. Yeah. So there's lots of things that I read and I just don't understand them to this yeah. day. <laughs> and uh, I think that's pretty normal, actually. The question is, what do you do in order to contend with that? And having a better memory... It really helps. It really does. But it's not, you know, some magic bullet or sack of magic beans that somehow makes everything a beanstalk. You know, you sometimes you go through things and I have to go back and read it out loud because I read a lot of heavy philosophy. I read philosophy that sometimes I think I get it. And then I read somebody else and go, oh, you know, and, and a lot of knowledge is like that because information is something that is in a state of becoming what it will become. And then it will become something else again in many cases. Now, there's some information that's a bit more stable, but even the most stable information, if we're going to be intellectually honest, is subject to change as new data comes in and yep. more people. This is, this, is, this is the most exciting thing about our time with big data and all that stuff is we're really challenging all of our assumptions and having greater clarity on what those challenges are, how true those new ways of looking at things are or might become as more data comes in. And so a lot of people are going to have to be more willing to read something and not understand it if they want to play the game of artificial intelligence and, and so on, if they want to actually be able to, to quote unquote, survive it rather than just being pushed around by it and maybe even triumph in that world that is here right now. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, if, you know, if we talk about, well, on that, that there first is, do you believe that all minds or, 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 you know, everyone has the same ability, the same brain power to do, I suppose, memory retention and learning data? Um, or do you think that some people are just gifted it? You know, that's if, if you took a class full of 20 kids, you know, on a biological level, are they all equally equipped and it just comes down to concentration, focus, and memory? Or do you think there's other things at play that we don't fully understand? 
well, there's all kinds of things at play that we don't understand, but there's also all kinds of things that we do understand, but we don't understand them correctly necessarily yeah. in order to make decisions that would help more people, quote unquote, equally or with fairness. So, for example, when I was a kid, nobody seemed to have anything like we have now, which is dietary considerations. Yep. Kid is misbehaving, must be something wrong with kid. <laughs> and you know nobody ever thinks well that bread that you gave him for breakfast first of all it was wheat maybe yep. he's got a wheat allergy maybe it was filled with sugar yada 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 right so when yep. kid is flipping out and all this sort of stuff it's not really a question of equality i don't even think we have to go there what we have to think about is individual circumstance and then you also have to take into account the fact that at least in my i can only speak for myself at the end of the day but in my case they were teaching me a bunch of stuff that is legitimately boring. Yes. It is legitimately useless. And I'm still grateful for it because it could be a lot worse. It could have been so much worse. I mean, just imagine comparatively to kids that were in wor worlds, whether it be in Eastern Europe or Africa or wherever, right? They didn't have properly heated homes when I was a kid. And to this day, they don't. Many people around the world, they don't have access to clean water. They don't have access to food and all that stuff. So all my problems were pretty minor in the grand scheme of things. But nonetheless, they were my problems. And equality doesn't – I don't think that's the way to look at it. The way to, to look at it is individual circumstance. What could we do in that context better? And if we can help other contexts, what can we do to help those contexts better? And just take caution that – this idea that you're going to use statistics and stuff like that, that's going to address millions of people at a time. Well, maybe, but also yeah. maybe you're going to have to start dealing with one person at a time. Cause wouldn't that be nice mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> if we just treated individuals yeah, as yeah. individuals? You know? Oh, absolutely. I think there'd be a lot of people that struggle through school or, or uni that wouldn't, if there was a bit more of that mentality in the system. Yeah, or maybe there wasn't a system. I mean, imagine that uh, if you and this is uh, parents ask me all the time, how can I get my kid to use your memory techniques? And I always say to them, what about you? Like, why are we putting another burden on the child when yeah. if you were to become the extraordinary parent who learns those techniques for yourself? So you have more free time because you're acing it at your job. You're getting a raise. You're getting a promotion, all that stuff. Then you share that with your child and you teach it through example and so forth. There's a guy named Adolfo Artigas who went through my training and he took that message to heart. He had a dry erase board the size of one wall that he put into his house and he quote unquote made his son, both of his sons actually, but one of them still too young to have this out outcome. But the other one. He learned what's called a 00 to 99 PAO, which is to have images for all the numbers from 00 to 99. So you can rapidly remember numbers, but you can also use it for other information. And he like literally drilled it into this young man. And that kid aced everything in high school. And he got an amazing scholarship to go to one of the top tier universities in Florida. Wow. And apparently he's just still crushing it because he's using the techniques he didn't want to. He he's so glad that he has it now. And yeah. Papa Adolfo, he did that thing. He joined the League of Extraordinary Parents who says, I'm not leaving it to the system. I'm not leaving it to some dude's memory training. I'm going to do what that guy said. I'm going to learn it. 
I'm going to prove that it works for yeah. myself. And then I'm going to make it happen in my family, whether the kid wants it or not. I don't know. I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't think he, I saw photographs of all this. I don't think he tortured him or anything like that, <laughs> but you know, he, he made it a family affair, an event that was irresistible. And, wow. you know, they just, they're, they're happy as peaches because, you know, getting a full scholarship to go through school is not that common. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Usually you get it in sports in the United States, I believe. But anyway. Wow. Okay. I just say, why why blame the system? There's always going to be systems. There's always going to be bureaucrats. There's always going to be yep. programmatic experiments on humanity from this or that area of, of humanity. We just do that to ourselves. Yeah. Why not seize the reins yourself? Give yourself the time, which you can earn by improving your ability to learn, and then make it a family affair this is i think the path yeah absolutely getting in a grassroots level it's going to be a lot easier and and then that young guy is going to take that on and implement that to his kids and and that whole evolution then occurs everyone will benefit from that starting point even better something that i work on to the best of my ability which is a very difficult thing that i don't have that many abilities in and you know i'm this may change in the future but it's i'm starting to see a little bit of change is whenever teachers come to me i say the same thing and finally there's a teacher who took my course and you know he's like well how can i teach this to my students how can i get my students to to do, to do this and i said don't get them to do it make it irresistible that they want yeah. to do it by you yourself within 5 minutes or less cuz you can do it faster than that memorize all of the names and you know show them that you can do it and so so to speak seduce them into begging for that yes. skill and then what you do and i i said go into your administration office show them the results that your students are now getting and tell them we need to reform teacher education. We need to make sure that every teacher in this district doesn't walk into a classroom again until that they, within three minutes, can memorize the names of all their students so they can do a whiz-bang demonstration that makes it impossible for those students to not want to do that. And, by the way, this teacher can now put formulas on the board without consulting the textbook, wow. et cetera, et cetera. Be the one who makes it impossible for others to not be able to do this. So education reform is like the biggest goal in the world. It's not necessarily anything that I can take on because I'm just a bit of a, <laughs> I'm just on my thing. I'm already yeah. going in this direction, but I always stop and encourage teachers. And so far only one has said, you know what, I'm going to do this. He sent me videos just last week. He's showing me the result. Actually, I shouldn't say there's two that have done it, but one did it. She sent me all these memory palaces that her students made and then she retired. So she was sort of out of the game, but wow. same thing now has happened twice. And the, the second teacher showed all these videos. Now he's gone and he submitted the paperwork for a nonprofit in the United States. He's <clears> bought a <throat> URL, which he hasn't launched yet for a thing. And he's going to address teachers very, very specifically. Wow. That's, that's great. Yeah. yeah that's great. I mean, I mean, the proof who knows is where it goes, but I'm going to help that guy as much as I can, because that's kind of the way that I can help with that is actual teachers. Cause I don't teach in elementary school and high school. It would be very inauthentic for me to be then I'm the guy who helps teachers teach. That doesn't make any sense, but for a teacher to do it, a legit teacher who's actually doing it, that makes total sense. And then I can get behind him. Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, the, what about people that have, and it's the, if yeah, I suppose the commonly used phrase is learning disabilities, which I don't think sounds very nice, but let's just say challenges learning. Um, mm -hmm. so people that are, are dyslexic, uh, and those sort of things, 
can can this same practices that you you know you teach help with that or is there a different way that that's done there are so many things that can fall under that rubric that the answer is yes no and maybe so right i think the issue comes down to the fact that there there has to be volition behind the use of any skill successfully and substantially in a way that's fun if you don't want to do it you know yes you can have commander dad or whatever that you know causes you to do it like you know my dad used to do that to me also it's like well if you're going to mow the lawn make sure you mow it this way and i want to see a cross hatch at the end or whatever you you know and you know if you're going to turn the screwdriver then you know don't strip the bolt like that kind of stuff right yeah well he he didn't make it fun in any way so i'm not a carpenter or a a lawnmower (laughs) person anymore right but i could have been you know, it's possible. My brother is. My brother has every certificate for mechanical things that they, that I think you can get in Canada. And he became a foreman and like underwater welder, all kinds of weird stuff. And I don't know, somehow my dad gelled with him and it was fun. He, You couldn't keep my brother out of the garage, but uh, not me. So do I have a learning disability in in uh, mechanics? Probably. <laughs> but, but, you know, yeah. I don't know why I only know the story, but I'd rather have been reading books and all that stuff. And it's just like one criticism and I'm out, not fun for me, but my yeah. brother, I don't know, he could take it and he loved it. So these are mysteries I, I don't really quite understand, but I do know that without volition, it's very difficult for anybody to do anything without that willingness to actually get into it and how exactly that willingness is constructed. Yeah. It takes a lot of different factors coming together. And we also have people with extraordinary memory, Kim Peek and so forth, who we don't even know why. It's just this incredible recall of all kinds of information. And is his brain like ours or is that part of his brain just switched on? Or does he have actually what what some people think is a kind of OCD level repetition that is behavioral in some sense and not really – you know, genetic or uh, autistic derived or however, I think we just don't know the answers to these things, but there's a lot of context that goes into it one way or the other. And Kim Peek seems like he wanted to quote unquote, be Rain Man. Like he, he got a kick out of that sort of stuff. There seems to have been some voluntary activity, some sort of participation in it. And you see it with other people who have extraordinary uh, autobiographical memory or superior autobiographical memory is is the more uh, common term for hyperthemesia, uh, I think it's called. And so Jill Price is one person, and you know people have noticed that she journals obsessively, which is seen in other cases of superior autobiographical memory is a kind of of their own volition or they're otherwise compelled through some kind of OCD to journal and journal like crazy about their lives, to think all the time about their lives. And so is it a gift or is it, and in the Jill Price case, if you, if you watch it, like many, many interviews with her, if you read her book and so forth, it doesn't seem like a gift at all, but there are other people who have it and they seem very happy with it. They're going to win Jeopardy (laughs) or whatever. Uh, You know, there's all kinds of different ways these things can manifest. It's, it's one thing that's, always stuck with me um so kerry stokes the the billionaire kerry stokes he i I read i watched an interview with him once a few years ago and he he's openly stated he's he's high level dyslexic uh struggles with reading writing 
Um, there's a story that when he was at school, he had a teacher say to him, um, Kerry, if, if someone could understand what you're writing, they'd actually realize how smart you are. And that's where the problem is. And he said that, that his biggest thing he identified was, and, and this isn't word for word what he said, but basically came out and said, when I have to write something, when I have to spell, he said, pick a word. It could be hospital, could be specialty. He said, you, to the host, he said, you can see that word. And the host goes, yeah, I can see all the letters. And he said, I can't. I can read that word. I can say that word. But if you ask me to spell it, I can tell you what it starts with. And he's basically, and, and his, his uh, I suppose, challenge there was that he has to sound everything out. And often, you know, like with English language, it's not as it sounds, you'll end up in some wild space. Um, mm. I mean, he's obviously done exceptionally well and he's a very smart guy, but it was an interesting thing that made me think that challenge that he has at some level comes back to memory where he hasn't have that ability to learn the word, visualize how it looks and recall it on demand. And it would be an interesting experiment to see how one of your programs, you know, obviously you're starting from a much further back foot, but even if that brought you up 50%, that's still a big improvement for people that struggle with that same problem. Yeah, potentially. I mean, spelling is one of those things where if that was what you wanted to improve, then you need to voluntarily do the things that would best tackle that. Yeah. So the conditions under which Kerry Stokes or any individual is going to voluntarily learn memory techniques for that goal, you know, I don't know. They have to find inside of themselves whatever is going to help them voluntarily go after that. So, yeah, it can help, but I don't think he's necessarily starting further back than anybody else. Okay. I, I, I think the real thing is, do you want to use memory techniques or do you not? And... If your goal isn't big enough and doesn't drive you enough, then that's the disability. The disability is the lack of a vision or a goal. And yep. maybe it's not vision or goal, but maybe you don't have a big enough pain <laughs> you know, yep. Yep. To, to, to push you through it. Because it's like any skill. It, it's like Qigong. You, know? you, you, you might go through many, many years of your life and never want to do Tai Chi or Qigong or yoga or anything like that. But then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I can't move. And you know, I've got all these... Yep. stiffnesses and so forth, then you get interested all of a sudden, then you volunteer because you yep. want to feel better, etc. So memory is a lot like that. And using memory techniques for those uh, kind of outcomes, if you're not in pain from not spelling, then maybe that's not the way to start with <laughs> with memory techniques. Yeah, uh, or, if, okay. it, or if you don't have some driving passion to now spell better, I don't know. I mean, these days the computer can correct it for you pretty yeah, quickly. Yeah, it does a lot. Uh, for I don't you. I don't know what's going to happen to spelling in the future, but that seems to me quite a low margin outcome for okay. memory techniques for relative to other things that you can do. Yeah, okay, interesting. Um, Unless you're a writer and and you need it. Yeah. Yeah, and you don't want uh, constant autocorrect coming in your face. Yeah. Which you know, I don't like. I'm a writer. I like to I like to I I also write to a lot of people around the world. And I don't like the computer constantly correcting when I type their name in return, you know, right. like yep. underlining it, auto changing it. And then, you know, if I don't notice, I send it and then, and then they, you realize, yeah, <laughs> they're annoyed because yay, memory guy, you miss, Oh, autocorrect. Yeah. You, you have autocorrect. That doesn't excuse it. You know, it's just, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? but often I do type it exactly correctly and it just changes it on me. And I didn't ask it to change it. And yes, I can turn off 
this sort of thing, but like it's useful yeah. in some contexts and totally useless in others. <laughs> in others. Yeah. Um, but yeah, spelling, I mean, it seems pretty low margin at the end of okay. the day, except for very individual contexts and you can train your software to, to recognize those, those spellings if you want. And have you had any, uh, success or dealt with people that have got, you know, dementia, Alzheimer's, any of those sort of uh, memory-based diseases? To a certain extent, yes. And it really depends on what that individual does with it or how a family member just helps themselves reducing their own stress in life by managing their own thing. So often people that are in that situation, they don't they don't have the ability to to have a kind of voluntary participation in it. Um, but there's interesting research around all of this. Casper Bormans, I think, is the name of the guy. Years ago, he had a TEDx talk where he was talking about how he's using kind of like digital memory palaces to help people remember the names of their loved ones by having you know representations of their home and even elements in the actual home where when they pass them, they have memory triggers that would help them remember the names of their loved ones, like on photographs and whatnot, which is uh, really super interesting. I don't know what happened with his research or his project, but there's 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 so much promise in it. But typically when I see results, it's from people who have diagnosed themselves. And so we can't all, we can't just say, yeah, yeah, great, you got results and now you've just you know just completely removed. Uh, these kinds of things from your life. But one case that comes to mind, I actually just wrote a novel and released it uh, in a small release based on a student of mine who had PTSD from his adventures being a police officer. Like it just really caused some extraordinary strain and stress. And he used the memory techniques and felt a tremendous amount of relief and healing. And what's so interesting about that is some research I found around that same time by a person named Tim Dalglish uh, and a team of researchers, they found that using memory techniques is shown to relieve depression and PTSD to significant uh, extent when it's used in particular ways, uh, specifically having a happy memory palace that's filled with happy memories and you journey through it when you're stressed out or you're having symptoms of depression and so forth. And when I heard that, I was like, well, no wonder I started feeling better when I was in university and dealing with depression. I always thought it was some mystical thing or, you know, I, I'm not a mystical person, but it just was very seductive. Like, how could I feel so much better? And it just shows in this research. And then it shows Nick Castle is the guy he's on my podcast. And then when I later wrote a novel, I thought a lot about him and had a detective with OCD and, or sorry, PTSD and early cognitive decline using memory techniques. And what I, what he that detective experiences in that story is not fiction at all. It's based on wow. real life case and all of this research and what happened to me and what I've known to happen to lots and lots of people. But in terms of dementia and Alzheimer's, often when that rears its ugly head, th that kind of knocks the volition out of it, but not necessarily entirely. And there's a thing called passive memory exercise that a lot of people can do. Dr. Gary Small has done a lot of research around this, and especially with passive memory exercise, which is a little bit different. It's quite different than what I teach, but you can, and, and I'm now doing more passive memory things because I made a memory game where people can get 
all different kinds of memory exercise depending on how they want to play the game, which uh, I don't know why I didn't think of it earlier. But anyway, it's like it's super inclusive. No matter what you do, you're getting some level of memory exercise. Uh, unless you plug your ears. <laughs> anyway, uh, early days with this, but part of it is based on passive memory exercise that I learned from Gary Small and then doing more research into it. And passive memory exercise has helped people with dementia, Alzheimer's, also with uh, TBI, traumatic brain injury, and so forth. It's not necessarily going to you know, help you memorize an entire book or something like that, yeah. but it can help you have better daily recall of important things because it's exercising your memory in very simple ways. So, cause I wanted to quiz you on, on some of these techniques. Cause you do, you give a lot away for free. Like people can very easily access you and some of your information. Um, you know, you certainly don't withhold and you offer a lot prior to joining a, a, a program as such. And before we get to that, I'm going to say that no doubt uh, if we talk about diet that can help, we're going to go back to the basics, which is going to be, and pull me up if this is wrong, I'm just making an assumption here, that it's going to be uh, focused around a paleo style, very natural diet full of you know your, your, your organic high quality meats, lots of greens, um, low starch carbohydrates, keep away all of the wheats and the whites carbohydrates. Um, and that's probably the, you know, and, and healthy fats, avocado, coconut oil, that sort of stuff is probably the, what I would say you would find is the, the best sort of basic diet. Potentially. I mean, it has to be tested. So I have extreme food allergies and walnuts and blueberries, they are apparently very, very good for memory, but I can't eat them. Oh, right. And I've had many dietary adventures because I have an issue where my body builds up markers very quickly. And so I will then have extreme reactions to foods and I have to keep doing rotation diets. And oh, wow. it's uh, it's a big pain, yeah. <laughs> to put it bluntly. And, uh, you know, apparently I have a particular gene that makes plant consumption hard for me, period. Wow, but okay. because I build markers, if I do paleo or even you know, almost carnivore, I get into trouble quite quickly. Um, and I know, cause I did carnivore diet, like full on carnivore for about three months and three months. Okay. My markers built up anyway. And then I started to have angular cellulitis and all kinds of problems. And yeah, I mean, it's just a thing. So right now the diet that I'm on definitely challenges me with more brain fog than I'm used to and so forth. But at the end of the day, there's no way around it. And it would be cool to say, yeah, this diet is for everybody. This is the one that's going to do your memory and all that sort of stuff. But I don't think there's any reality to it. It's kind of back to the context dependent thing that we were talking about with students. If we would just treat them all as individuals, then we probably get somewhere a lot faster. Yeah, but very true. You go to the doctor, you go to the nutrition person or whatever, and it's like statistics this and uh age 18 to 85 that and you know do that and it just doesn't make sense you've yeah. got to get down to individual markers in your own body then you got to think about your goal too what you're willing to tolerate and so forth but yeah if i eat avocado which should be great for me yeah. I'll, i will have hip pain like crazy and wow. i can have it maybe once a month max but even then and because i have problems where 
the presence of this mixed with that can can also cause issues. It's oh, just an extraordinarily yeah. uh, that's hard to deal with. Yeah, if it's a singular food, it's not too bad. But then if you're getting the ends and the ores come together, that's a whole nother level. Yeah, and it's just anyway not to dwell on it, but it's it's its own project. So there's a lot of uh, rotation dieting I have to do, and um, basically elimination dieting to try to figure out what's the problem this time. <laughs> and supplement wise, um, I, I mean, you, you know, you listen to a lot of other people, and they will talk about like nootropics and herbs and amino acids. And I know one of your podcasts I listened to at one point in time, you pretty much were saying that you haven't found any supplements that you would ironclad say, yep take product X and you're going to notice a big difference in brain power, memory power. Is that still the case where there isn't anything that you believe? In terms of supplements that sell themselves as a memory uh, antidote for forgetting or whatnot, I haven't seen anything that is better than water yet. Okay. Uh, Now this is a lot of N equals one personal experimentation, et cetera. But it's also relative to a goal. So, you know, if an individual is finding that they have greater focus and clarity, and then that's leading to better recall of information, then I would just say to them, okay, how are you clarifying to yourself that that's actually coming from that supplement? And then what is the condition of memory? Like, can you now take a deck of cards and memorize it? without any memory techniques. That would be pretty amazing if it came from a supplement. <laughs> Usually what mean, people mean is, well, I feel better. Yeah. Okay, great. But that doesn't necessarily mean your memory is improved. When I talk about memory improvement, I talk about being able to actually recall the dates of an individual who's a philosopher from centuries ago and weird words that they used They've in used. their stuff and you can remember how that compares to some other weird philosopher from some other era you know and uh how accurate are you and can you quote them in german you know like that's better memory to me (laughs) i don't i just when i say i haven't seen a supplement for that it's true like yeah (laughs) and i'm not interested in 0.05 verbal memory recall that some bottle gives you when water does that just drinking more water will give you 0.05 better verbal memory Right. Okay. And that's assuming you even know what verbal memory is, because it's not necessarily what people think. <laughs> no, well, I, I wouldn't know what it is. No. Well, part of what it is, I mean, it's the ability to to hear and understand things, interpret symbols. So for example, if you see an ampersand, you know that the ampersand means and. You might not know that it's called an ampersand, but that's part of verbal memory. It's understanding you're, you have extraordinary verbal memory. You're listening to me blabber on. And if you know what I mean by ampersand, even if you don't know that word, that strange curly S looking thing yep. as an and symbol. Well, verbal memory is, is helping you do that. When you drive down the street and you see a red light and, or, or, you know, you hear someone yell stop and they point at the light. Maybe you didn't even hear them say stop, but they point and you see the light and then you go, Oh, stop. That's part of verbal memory. Right. Okay. Right? So interesting. Visual memory and verbal memory are quite related. It's like how we read. And so a lot of speed reading pseudoscientists, they talk about reducing your sub vocalization so you can read faster. 
I don't know why anybody would want to read faster, but uh, they say that if you reduce your subvocalization, you'll read faster and understand more. I have no idea where they get this, but all that they have demonstrated to me is that they haven't read the science on how to read faster because subvocalization is absolutely needed to understand things. And a lot of people who are struggling with comprehension, the number one thing that they could do is, as we were talking about earlier, is go back and read the page again out loud so you can hear it. You get not only the visual intake, but you get a verbal intake physically from your own mouth flapping and your ears are now exercising it through an auditory or echoic representation. And you, you just get much more chances for comprehending what is being said there. And that's like, that's like maximizing vocalization as opposed to trying to suppress subvocalization, which is so essential and has been shown over and over and over again to be really, really important. There's a guy that we shouldn't call him out necessarily, but he's hilarious. And he won a world Guinness record for, and, and people tell me all the time, what do you think about this guy's record for, uh, for, uh, Howard Berg, I think his name is, uh, I'll call him up. <laughs> what do you think about this guy's record for, uh, world, uh, speed reading Guinness world record to speed reading? I said, have you ever read his record? Cause what his record actually says is that he has convinced the most talk show hosts that he has superior memory or sorry, superior speed reading skills, but he actually goes back and reads the book later slowly to understand it. It's just like, (laughs) why wouldn't you just read the book in a much more strategic way in the first place? Anyway, Opie and Anthony, I think the show is called. I only could listen to a couple minutes of it because it's so embarrassing, but they really take this guy to town and they're just mocking him like crazy. How that guy even has the tolerance to be publicly mocked about it. I have no idea, but his, his Guinness world record is if you go and read it, you'll see that it's a, like, they have a sense of humor. Let me put it that way. (laughs) The Guinness World Record people do. (laughs) Because it says very clearly that his record is for convincing the biggest, the largest amount of talk shows that he has a speed reading skill. And he himself, of his own admission, actually goes back and rereads the book more slowly to understand it. And my question is, why don't you just read it in a way that you can understand it the first time, noting that I myself often don't understand books the first time. So I go back and reread them. And I don't even think there is such a thing as reading without rereading. Obviously, there is a thing. There's lots of novels I've read that I'm not going to go back and reread them. And I have to say, in all fairness, there's probably things that I've missed because I didn't go back and read them. But we're not just going to go back and reread a bunch of stuff. But no, there's, no. There's many no, things but, that I love to reread and I go, oh my goodness, how did I miss this the first time? Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. <laughs> yeah, you pick up on a lot of different things and you and you do wonder that you because you, you might gel to something and you go, how did I not hear that the first? If it was an audio book or whatever it may be, you sort of wonder how it was missed. But you, you're exactly right. If you If you enjoy it and you like it, then there's only good to be have from revisiting it. Oh, yeah. And plus, I, I had an uncle one time. I don't know if this is true or not, but... Uh, his name was Walter. He's unfortunately lost to the world uh, through all kinds of adventures that took his life. But um, he had said that he loves to reread books every seven years, very specifically, because all his cells had regenerated, as he used to say. And he was very strict about it. He w- he had a very limited bookshelf, and he would reread it every seven years, <laughs> apparently. That's what he said. Oh, and okay. <laughs> uh, I always thought that was like super fascinating. He was like, it's like a different book. 
and it influenced me uh, to actually do some of this in a, in a limited way. So I, I won't specifically make it seven years, but there's a couple of books that I keep coming back to again and again and again. Like The Running Man from Stephen King is one that I do this with and Firestarter from Stephen King also. And every time I read them, it's amazing how different they are. I don't know if it's exactly seven years that I wait. But yeah. it's just astonishing. And I think it partly is that you not only have all your cells regenerated, but you've just had so many experiences and you yeah. just think about you, things differently. You look at things differently. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, if we if we go back to the program, so I, I wanted to grab a, a bit, because um, like I was saying, you give a lot away for free. You're definitely you, very forthcoming and, and um, giving of your information and time. So is is there an aspect of it for the show that we can go into where you can a, a small portion that people could notice a difference from um because i know that the, the memory palace uh which is i suppose one of your starting points that you you give out even if you want to explain that in a bit more um summary detail of how that works or if there's another one that we want to sort of go into the fundaments of Sure. Well, I mean, let me test my own memory here. It was Kerry Stokes <laughs> that you said recently, I think. Yep. Yep. Kerry Stokes. Yep. So how that works, I mean, it's just one name, right? But is I, when you said that, I very, very specifically placed an image over your shoulder, which was of Jim Carrey stoking a fire. Now, I don't know exactly what other thing that I could have used for stoking a fire, because it could be that I would miscall that. Okay. Right. Yeah. So what I could have done was had like maybe a suicidal tendencies album there for ST and then like, I don't know, Oakland Ragers. Is that a team? I don't know. Something with more Oak tree kind of thing. Uh, that doesn't sound right. Oakland. Ranger. I don't know. But um, Oakland team of, 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 of sports or whatever. I'm not a sports fan, but that would have been more in the area of really nailing Stokes. Right. Okay. Uh, but stoking a fire close enough. So Jim Carrey. Now, the only issue is you know i could have said that oh, was it jim stokes that you said earlier or you know yeah, something like that yep sure but the reason why i didn't is because i'm just really really focused on making sure it's the carry part uh of that and uh that's just how you when i go and do name demonstrations in rooms that's how i do it just you know, Haley, I see Haley's comet crashing into that person. If Alan's, this is actually a demonstration from a couple of years ago. Haley's there. Haley's comet is crashing into her. Alan was next to her. So I see, I think his name is Alan Funt or Alan Funt or something like that from Candid Camera. And yeah. then yep. Sharon Musker was behind, was beside him. So he's now using an Alan key in her ear. And Sharon was actually, Sharon Musker was her name, but actually in reality, in my mind, she was Sharon Osborne. And then Edward was the guy next to her. So she's now doing, and I'm just using the room as a kind of memory palace and just going through each and every name, placing images on their shoulders or over their heads. And it's just, if you train yourself and that's what the course does is it trains you to not think about this, just to do it as quickly as possible. And if you do certain exercises, you will be able to do it without thinking about it. But you have to do the exercises and it's pretty simple. It's like a weekend uh, of work and I can share more about like what those exercises are. But at the end of the day, they need to become part of your procedural memory so that you're doing that fast. You can do it while you're reading. 
you can, you can do it while you're looking at dates. You can do it while you're uh, looking at foreign language vocabulary, etc. The speed might be a little bit different depending on your level of skill, the challenge of the information. There are certain things where I just go, why the heck can't I figure that out? Like an image for that. Today it happened too, because I, I was just telling you like philosophers and uh, this kind of thing. And I was thinking, okay, so 88 to 79. And then I would lose, I'd lose 79. These are the dates for uh, Thomas Hobbes. So I think it's 1588 to 1679. And I'm just learning this today, right? But for some reason, this 88 kept uh, <laughs> dropping out for, for whatever reason. And I don't know why. It just happens to me sometimes. So I was about to look up Thomas Hobbes and his dates. And then all of a sudden it just came to me. And I actually allowed like, an hour to go by before that I looked it up to see if it would come to me. It happened to me on an interview today, this morning too. I was up at 5am doing an interview, no coffee or anything like this. <laughs> and um, I know that this guy knows that I know this stuff, but for some reason I couldn't remember this dude's name. And I was like, you know, it's that guy, Hugo of St. Victor or St. Victor of Hugo or whatever. And then I was like, later in the interview i was going, no wait it's hugh of saint victor i'm so sorry i would i just sort of let that go oh the gods have clay feet all that but, but it, it came to me finally because that just happens to you sometimes and part of the game is to just let it go and be willing to be wrong and then when you just look that wrongness in the face then you can fix it and and the worst thing that has ever happened to me is i've just run into a person maybe i haven't seen them for two years and it's because, you know, as you know, I'm a person who works on my memory. I'm very sorry, but in this circumstance, this one just slipped through the cracks. Could you please remind me? And then I'll go, oh, but that's happened maybe twice in my career. And usually it's totally the opposite. And it's very useful, actually, to uh, to be able to do that. Uh, or I'll have yeah. like missed calls. There's like a guy I'm still not sure. I think it was Darren. But for some reason, I want to go to Daryl. And I think it's because at the event, I just miss I heard Daryl. And then I used an image of a Darren to help, or I heard Darren, I made a Daryl or whatever. Anyway, I can look him up on Facebook or whatever, but I one time saw him in the park and I just laughed about it. I'm like, because I miscalled it even at the d demonstration. <laughs> I was like, I think it was a Darren, but it might be a Daryl or whatever. And I saw him and I've just played the joke again. I was like, I still haven't totally sorted this out. And then uh, I said, but I remember you, you, your wife was named Nolly, right? And he said, yeah, you got that. <laughs> so, but it's one of those, those mysteries that I don't even know how to solve exactly. But the reality is I teach better memory, not perfect memory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's exactly right. And there's, is there a lot of different techniques? It's no one shoe that you sort of tackle. It's like, well, here's a, a bunch of ways to do it. And some people might choose left, right in the middle, up, down. Yes. And no, I think all the techniques share in common that they use association use association that links one thing to another in okay. some form or another. And they involve space, usually observations about where information is or placing associations in space, which is the memory palace thing. So putting Carrie Stokes on your shoulder rather than just like randomly in my brain, having this association with Jim Carrey stoking a fire. I put it somewhere. I mean, I didn't literally reach through the world and stick yeah. this thing on you, but just imaginatively, it's on your shoulder so that if I wanted to remember that, I can, I have it. I didn't actually, in this case, need to go and look on your shoulder and go, what the heck was there? But because it's located in space, 
I can find it in the same way that you've probably had an experience where you go, well, where did I put that book? Oh, right. It's in, you know, the middle of the shelf, uh, downstairs, yes. that sort yep. of thing. Yep. If you observe where you put a thing, then you, you have one more chance at calling it back. So I think all memory techniques are the same at the end of the day. It's just what's the information and then what is the variation on the sameness that we want to call upon? Because if it's if it's dates and numbers like 88 and 79, I'm still using alphabet because my images for that are – I think his name's Ian Anderson who plays the flute in Jethro Tull. He's my image for 88 because 8 is an F in this system. And so two Fs together make the word fife, which is an alternative word for flute. Oh. And so Ian Anderson is 88. And then 79 is Captain Crunch because 7 is like a K sound and 9 is a P sound. So just cap is sort of the short word. But I make it these very specific people because that makes it much, much more like Jim Carrey on the person's shoulder. But I got to go back because now I'm thinking, was it 1500 or 1600 that it was uh, 1588? I think it's 1588 uh, for Hobbes. It's got to be 1588. I'm pretty sure. But uh, 1588 to 1679. But that means he lived for quite a long time. I, I don't know. But uh, anyway, like I said, I'm just encoding this now. But those are those are numbers that are now turned into alphabet. Those associations are in a memory palace. And you know, I, I can look back to that and then I can try and think, where did I go wrong? You know, yeah. how can I make sure that I know it's 1500 that the birth date is as opposed to getting confused about it? Right. And I know how I can do it. I can add him playing bass guitar because Tal, Tal, I think her name's Tal Wilkinson. Sometimes I don't memorize the names of the people that I use, but there's a Tal Wilkins or Tal Wilkinson, something like that. She plays bass and she's my image for 15 because of her name being Tal. One is a T, five is an L. I know that sounds all super complicated, but most people can learn this in a couple hours, and uh, then they've got it for life. Yeah, so. because it, it does. In my mind, I'm thinking uh, there must be baby steps to get to this point because that it's it's very, um, you know, you you've obviously got an ability very quickly to to use a lot of things. Uh, where I'm sort of thinking, oh well, surely it must start with let's just do it for three things. Once you've nailed three things, we can move up to five. Then we'll try it with 10. Is that is that sort of how the, the learning curve would go? It's kind of like that diet thing. You've got to know yourself. You've got to use yourself as the experiment because this is like the strength of my teaching and it's also part of its weakness, which is that I don't pretend to know who's going to do what. And so I treat people as much as I can with the whole shebang. And I don't prejudge where you're at. I just share what I did to get where that I am. And I give suggestions on how to break it down if you need it. But I have seen people of very advanced age go straight to the core within hours. I've wow. seen people struggle for over a year who are of perfect health, perfect sanity, perfect According to them, in every way, there's nothing wrong with them. There's no congenital brain disease or they never had a stroke. They didn't ever hit their head or anything like that. And they just can't make head or hair of it, right? But I don't know that in advance. And I think there's something morally disgusting of people who, quote unquote, dumb down their training because they've decided in advance that you need baby steps. 
Yep. Okay. I don't know that, but I have a living, breathing teaching, which is if you've got questions, reach out and ask me. A course is a course. There's like, there's only so many ways that you're going to present information on a screen or in a book or yep. what have you, you know, an MP3. But if you've got questions, I will help you figure out where you are. And if it comes down to segmenting it into smaller steps, then we'll figure it out. But it kind of comes down to having a meaning, meaningful goal, you know? Yeah. And, you know, sometimes part of the memory struggle, even the one I'm having today with uh, Thomas Hobbes, I think I said Hume here earlier, but I meant Hobbes, but Hume is a different guy, um, which I'm also memorizing his dates, which have an 11, I think. Uh, anyway, uh, the thing is, I have zero reason to know the dates of these guys, <laughs> but I'm kind of just doing it to keep myself sharp and all that sort of stuff. And it's just kind of fun because I also experiment with like, how could I make myself know these things that I really don't care <laughs> that much yep. about? Like I have the general gist of when they existed. Um, yeah, I think it's 1711 to 1776 for Hobbes. Uh, there are people who are listening who are curious if, if this all works out. You can look that up. <laughs> Sorry, not Hobbes. Hume. See, this is <laughs> this is the thing that we we struggle with with information and I struggle with it, too. And that's the question. How can we have fun working this stuff out? Because it is hard. Yeah. Yeah. Why pretend like, oh, we're going to make it super easy when actually we can say, how can we just make it fun? Yep. And it is kind of fun. And I have to admit, like, I have zero reason to know the dates for Hume. I mean, I have some reason because I also cross index these people and their relative positioning in history from other people does help. But at the end of the day, I only need the gist. I don't really need the specifics. Okay. So I myself have to think, how am I going to make this fun? And I just happen to have a thing where, you know, it's fun to like exp explain how these techniques work, maybe fall flat on my face once in a while <laughs> with uh, these sorts of things, which is um, part of my teaching actually is just to like, let's not take this too seriously. You're going to make mistakes. I make mistakes. That's the way it goes. Let's, you know, let me encourage you to make some because you will. Yeah. Um, I also learned magic and believe me, th there is no way to avoid mistakes. I've seen, I, I attend magic lectures quite a bit. Uh, I have in the past before COVID and then I just watch online lectures. I have seen the best of the best completely melt when they're teaching lectures because they've flown and they're just teaching. They're really tired. The students have tired them out with like three hours of questions and they just, they bomb so badly, you know? Wow. And um, I've seen a, a magician say, he says, you know, the way that you get used to that is you try and do the most ambitious thing that you can do in front of the most people so that you just get over it. That's a good, good carry point. Yeah. on because yeah. you will fall flat on your face. And I think that's, that's very, very useful. Um, as long as you're not getting physically harmed. Yeah. I think that's a very, very useful thing is just to be willing to make mistakes. Oh, it's probably great for musicians, comedians, uh, you know, anyone that's got to put themselves in front of a group of people where it could all go wrong. Right. right. Um, to, to get used to that feeling and not take it too serious. Yeah. You know, I played in a band, uh, I played in many bands, but I played in a band where we went on like the biggest tour of my career as a musician and the drummer Tito one night, he came, he came to me after the show and he was like, I saw that you made a mistake in empire. I think it was the song. And I was like, Oh yeah, sorry. I was just like, not on my game, whatever. I'll fix it in rehearsal, et cetera. And he said, it's not a problem that you made a mistake with the note. 
It's that you looked like you made a mistake. Don't do that. Because <laughs> if you look like you made a mistake, then you definitely made a mistake and people hear your, what you, how you look. Yes. Uh, and I thought that was so gracious of him to put it that way because it's true. Yeah, Most yeah. people aren't noticing the mistakes that you make. And no. in magic, that's especially true. Like there's a principle in magic. Don't run if you're not being chased. So, and there's another principle called magician in trouble. So if you ever make mistakes, don't project that you just made a mistake. Just, you know, kind of carry uh, on, <laughs> carry on, keep calm, figure it out, make the card appear somewhere else later, etc. And I kind of have that style in my memory teaching as well. Even this morning, it happened with Hugh of St. Victor. And I was like, was it Hugo? And it's because I used a guy named Hugo to help me remember Hugh of St. Victor. And it's 5 a.m. and blah, blah, blah. Yep. So, you know, later it pops into my mind and I just correct it. And I say, that's how memory works. You know, get out of your own way. Stop worrying about it and it'll come. <laughs> <laughs> and if people want to find um, more about your course and and the book that you mentioned as well, because that book sounds really interesting. Is that all on your website? Yeah. Uh, thank you for asking about that. Everything's there. It's a monster website. There's hundreds of articles and podcasts and videos. And it's at magneticmemorymethod.com. If anybody's struggling with their memory, I think if you just type Anthony and memory, it'll come up. Oh, okay. There might be other Anthonys in memory, but... But you're the main one. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm the one that has the most articles online. So you probably find me. And um, yeah, magnetic memory method is by design as easy to remember as as possible. But obviously there are some people who are in, in crisis with their memory or struggling, and even that can be difficult. But magneticmarymethod.com had to call it something. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's perfect name. Yeah, it's perfect. No, that's well, I'll certainly put a link on the uh the website, my website to direct people to you as well. Um because yeah, that's definitely interesting. So and even to to chase up that the book that you were talking about is any chance of turning that into an audio book? The novel. Yeah. It is in an audio book already, yes. Oh, perfect. Yeah, I did like a limited release and so forth, and I'm going to explore more about how it's going to work. It's a legit novel. So even if you don't want to improve your memory, like you could just read it, and it's a, it's a story. And it's I used to be a film studies professor, and I worked as a story consultant for a couple of years. So I never really got around to like actually seeing if I could put those things together. Based on the feedback so far, so far so good, you know, Somebody, Marco, uh, one of the people who's been in my community forever, he emailed me the other day and I thought he, I thought, oh my goodness, when I saw the preview, you know how you see preview email or whatever? He's yeah. like, what kind of sick, whatever, dot, dot, dot. And I was like, oh my God, what have I done to Marco? And he <laughs> went on for three sentences. What kind of sick person are you? I have lost sleep for the last three nights. I'm a father with three kids and I can't believe you. Yeah, dot dot dot. Congratulations, Flyboy is amazing novel. Blah blah. He's like, I wow. can't wait for the next one, etc. <laughs> and they, this is this. I keep getting this from people who uh, who have gotten it and have read it already. So that's very gratifying, and that's by design because I wanted it to be that way. That you know, for people who are into detective stuff, are kind of sick of Sherlock Holmes with I must go to my mind palace and all that stuff, and never actually learning how those techniques work. I yeah. baked into it. Without getting boring and turning into a tedious lesson, I baked into it how exactly this detective does learn the art of memory. And that's because he has a blind mentor named Jerome, who's based on a real guy from from Australia, actually, oh, uh, wow. named Jared Guzzins. It's spelled Gerard, but uh, I guess you pronounce it Jared. And 
he i mean it's partly based on him uh and uh he you know just has extraordinary abilities even though he's never seen in his life and he really helps the detective learn because a lot of people say well i can't use memory techniques because i'm not visual but you don't have to be visual in order to do amazing things richard turner is also a guy it's partly based on richard turner he is one of the most skilled magicians with cards you'll ever see he his touch is so fine with cards that bicycle hires him for quality control because he can see the cards quote unquote see the cards better than people with eyes and uh it's really astonishing and he's also a martial artist and this guy here in australia jared he's like somebody at everest apparently he's flown a plane apparently like all these amazing things so i based jerome is like a compilation of these people and uh he teaches the detective how to use the memory techniques and basically how to get his attitude together and stop you know kicking himself when he's down and do something well, that sounds <laughs> so, really really good and you know he has to confront his ghosts from the past that are you know haunting him to this day which is really what's the ultimate barrier you know because he hasn't basically admitted to himself just what a criminal he himself has been and he needs to let that go he needs to confront it and so forth and you know, not that he's ever going to go to prison or anything like that, but you know, he's he's just like all of us. He's got, how do you say it, kindly caca on his knees. And uh-huh. when he is able to resolve that, then the art of memory really starts to stick in. And um, by the time we get to part eight, he'll be as good as Jerome, if not better. <laughs> oh, okay, now that that sounds fascinating. It sounds really good. It sounds like we've spoken about a movie. Well, I, I don't like to create my own suffering, but uh, we'll we'll see. Maybe it can become a movie. Uh, you know, think big, dream big, but yeah, not yeah. in such a way that you you create your own uh, expectation. The Buddha said is the quickest path to suffering. Yeah. But yeah, I, I had a movie in mind. I mean, I was a story consultant and a film professor, so I I, I baked into it the classic hero's journey, but I distorted it just enough so that. It doesn't feel like just cliche things. And I, I put some of the the normal story structures in slightly different areas, which, you know, The Matrix did also. The Matrix has a, a piece in it that happens so early relative to where that piece normally occurs in a story. And it's astonishing how they pull it off. I think it's one of the reasons why it's such a mega success is because that particular piece that we normally see later on in the story happens so early. It's just amazing. And it just like made my jaw drop the instant that I saw it. Really, really well done. Okay. So, yeah. Right. I didn't do it that well, I don't think. But <laughs> I tried to, you know, move things around a little bit. So they're not exactly where you'd expect them. And then you have that kind of like, yeah, that was okay. But I've read that before. Or, yes. You know, nothing yep. new here kind of feeling. It's got more of a twisty thing where it hits all those satisfying points, but just a little, little bit in surprising ways, I hope. Yeah, well, it sounds good. It sounds really good. Well, Anthony, thank you so much for your time. I've I've thoroughly enjoyed the uh, the hour that we've spent together. Well, thanks for inviting me, Francis. Thanks very much for sticking to the end. I hope you enjoyed the show. As mentioned, you can find out more at bumpinginto.com.au. Head to the episode page and there'll be a couple of extra links there and some more information. Thanks for listening and I'm going to catch up with you on the next one.